I want to start off by telling you guys something that's a little discouraging about me personally, and that's this. I have participated in every bad decision that I have ever made. It's the truth. I have participated in every bad decision I've ever made. All of the bad parenting decisions I was a part of, all of the bad financial decisions I was a part of, all the bad decisions in my marriage, not who I married, that was a great decision, but the decisions within the context of my marriage, I need to, I, you really have to be careful of that one. <clears throat> the decisions I made in the context of my marriage that were bad decisions, I was a part of that. Uh, whether it was decisions that concerned my career, I was a part of that. Every bad decision that I've ever made, I was ultimately a part of. And the reason, <clears throat> excuse me, um, to, take it, to take it rather a step further, is, is I, I'm a sucker for this. You, you might also like, you anybody else a sucker for that? You might also like this or, or have it this. Customers who purchase this also purchase that. I, I just find myself being a sucker for that. And even though it's really embarrassing to me to admit this, the reason I feel so open sharing this with you in the room isn't because I know each of you personally and we're, we're deep personal friends and I know you'll keep it secret. The truth is we're recording it and it's going to get out of the room. The reason I feel so comfortable sharing that is this. It's because you have participated in every bad decision you have made as well. In fact, it's really just the strangest thing, but ultimately, you were the mastermind. I'm really not sure how you did it, but you were the mastermind behind your greatest regrets. Somehow, you were able to pull that off. Somehow, you, you, somebody may have made a suggestion. They may have pointed some, some fault out. Don't do this. Don't go there. But somehow, you were the mastermind you, who kind of made this great decision or, or what you thought was a great decision that turned out to be a bad decision. We've all done this. Whatever the decision we've made is, whatever the bad decision we were a part of was. And so the truth is, for all of us, and really that's what we're going to f- talk about this morning over the next few minutes, is that for every single one of us, we faced our greatest challenge every single morning. We faced our greatest challenge in the mirror. Every single morning, every one of us. My greatest challenge, believe it or not, isn't you. My greatest challenge isn't my marriage. My greatest challenge isn't my kids. My greatest challenge isn't my career. My greatest challenge, believe it or not, isn't even my fitness. My greatest challenge is me. It's the person in the mirror. And, and here's what I know about you, even though I don't know you all personally, it's this. It's that you, you are difficult to lead. You are. You're difficult to lead. You, you, you are the one who creates the challenges. That every single morning you look up and you may want to do things, but you don't do the things you set out to do. And, and when it concerns our nation, as we look at where we are in the calendar, as we look at where we are as a nation as a whole, I, I thought, you know what, I think this is an incredible, incredibly rather important topic for us to discuss as a church and really even as citizens of this nation, as Americans. That each of us find ourselves waking up every morning and we have to lead the American in the mirror. Now, our, our national pastime, really our, our new national pastime rather, our old national pastime was baseball. But our new national pastime, and, and I'm guilty of this as well, and you might be, find yourself guilty of this, our new national pastime is really just talking about and tearing down the, 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 the leaders, the political leaders of the other party. It's interesting to me that we were so willing to just spend all of our time talking about the opposing party and their leaders and how destructive they are without ever looking at our own party leaders. But that's a message for another time. But that's really become our national pastime is to spend all this time talking and pointing blame and pointing the fingers at whoever's in office on the other side and how they're the, you know, the cause of all of our problems. But the truth is, if we're really honest with ourselves, is that I've done more to undermine my own success and progress than any political candidate who was ever elected to office, ever. I've done more to undermine it. So today, we're going to talk about leading the American in the mirror, which really isn't fun because it reminds us all of all the work that we have to do. But I find this an extremely important topic, really for a bunch of reasons. I'm going to give you three reasons, and then we're going to look at three decisions that I want you to make with some handles on that. Uh, The first reason is this, and this is a really big reason. 
is that you will never be a leader worth following if you don't lead yourself well. You'll never be a leader worth following. You won't be. You won't be a leader worth following in anything, in your community, in your marriage, in your family, in your school, uh, in your career, in your job, on the team that you're on, whatever it is. You, you won't be a leader worth following if you don't learn to lead yourself well. But the truth is, and if I'm being completely honest with you, self-leadership isn't a requirement for leadership. We all know leaders whose lives are kind of falling apart, who, who make bad decisions, who, when, when you look past their leadership, things just aren't always in order. But the truth is, even though they have authority and even though they have position and even though they can lead, we don't respect them. They don't influence us. These aren't people we want to be a part of necessarily. And we've all learned this. And really the first place we learn this, it hits a little closer to home, doesn't it? You see, the first place we learn this is with our parents. Because whether or not you want to be like your parents depends on how well they've led themselves. We all like our parents, right? We all say things. We t- when we talk about our parents, there's, there's emotion and, and there's, there, there's these great memories and maybe even some laughter. And, you know, we tell all these great stories that I love my dad and my dad was great and my, my dad was this. But, you know, but when it really comes down to it, I, I don't want to be like my dad. And then we say, I love my mom. Everyone loves my mom. My mom's amazing. She's the best cook. I love my mom. But I don't necessarily want to be like my mom. And whether or not you find yourself wanting to be like your parents has much more to do with how they led themselves than how they taught you or what they required of you or what they demanded of you or even really even how they disciplined you. Why? Because you will never be and I will never be. We will never be leaders worth following in any capacity, in any arena in life if we don't get this self-leadership thing right. The second reason, and this is a really big deal, not only to be a leader worth following, <clears throat> the second one is similar, and that's this. Exceptional self-leadership is the key to sustained influence. Now, there's a difference between influence and authority, and we know that, don't we? There's a difference between uh, having influence and being in a position of authority or having authority. There's a relationship between influence and how a person leads themselves because we rarely open ourselves to influence uh, or to someone's influence who we don't respect. We all know people who we don't respect who are in positions of leadership. They have a title. They have a position. They have some kind of authority on a team. But just because they lead, just because they have authority, doesn't mean that we necessarily submit ourselves to them and we allow them to influence us. No, we, we, the people we respect, the people we look up to, the people we, we admire, those are the people we allow to speak into our life. Those are the people we kind of submit ourselves to to be influenced by. If you want to leverage the respect, if you want to gain some respect, if you want to maintain respect, self-leadership is the name of the game. There's no way around it. Parents, it's like, it's like if you ask your kids, you know, we really can't make, our, we can't make people do anything. I think that's the, like this big kind of myth of parenting. We, we kind of have kids and we feel like, well, I can make them do whatever I want. And then you have kids and when you're young, you know, you can pick them up and, and literally make them do whatever you want. And then they get older and you ask them to do something and they're like, well, no, do I have to do that? Do I have to? And they get older and you can't move them anymore. It's like, no, I, you know, really, I guess you don't have to do that. And then they get this like evil kind of grin on their face. Come on, I had like six siblings. I know that grin. Really? I don't have to? It's like, no, you don't. The truth is I can't make you do anything. You see, but I can, we do have things in place that can make you not do things. Prison was created to make you not do things. And then the light kind of goes off. Oh. Oh, I, I see. You see, the truth is, we can't make people do things. That's what influence is. Influence doesn't make people do things. It influences them to do things. It leads them in the direction. It shows them the value in doing the thing that you want to be done. Self-leadership is about maintaining influence. If you were ever under the, the impression, whether you read a book, you heard somebody talk about it, you heard somebody say at some point, <clears throat> when you 
have respect for someone, you are open to their influence. And at the same time, in all of our lives, we want to have influence. So self-leadership is critical. And the, the third thing, and, and, and this is a really big deal, is acceptance of self-leadership is the key to sustained performance. And we know this because when we're talking about home or we're talking about the mar- marketplace, leaders burn out. L- leaders get tired and they kind of flame out. Parents kind of burn themselves out and are taken out of the picture. And before someone comes in and has to remove you from the picture, the, the, the whole idea is if we learn to lead ourselves well, we won't burn out. Our flame won't trickle out. Someone won't need to come in and remove us from the situation or remove us from the position that we're in. If we learn to lead ourselves well. Another way to say that is this. Great leaders last because they've led themselves first. So I'm going to give you the bottom line, and then we're going to look at some handles on, on all these things. Is that I am no better. You are no better. We are no better than what we do. There is only one person in the entire world who can make you do anything. And it's the person you look at every morning in the mirror. You. You are the only person who can make you do anything. So today, I want to look at three decisions. There's more to this. There have been books written about this. There's articles, dissertations written about this topic. But I just want to give you kind of three decisions and some handles on these decisions. So how do we figure this out and how do we apply and how do we live this in our own lives? Whether you're, again, whether you're leading a family, whether you're leading at work, whether you're leading a team, whether you have people that report to you, whether you're in high school and you just have friends that kind of rally around you, there are three decisions we need to make when it comes to leadership and really when it comes to self-leadership. The first decision is this, and this is probably the most important. I will not lie to myself even when the truth makes me feel bad about myself. In fact, I want all of us to say this together. I don't want you to forget this. So whether you're listening to this at home later on and you're driving, you're here for the first time and you think it's a little uncomfortable that I'm going to have you speak out loud or you've been with us from the beginning, I want everyone to say so that I don't want you to forget this. Ready? We're going to say this together. I will not lie to myself. Makes me feel bad. Did you know, and you won't hear this in culture at all, the culture will not tell you this, but did you know there are worse things than feeling bad about yourself? Did you know that? That there are worse things in this world than feeling bad about yourself? And I know you hear that, and you're like, no, no, no. Like, wait a minute, there's nothing worse than that. Like, when I feel bad about myself, I've got to tell myself whatever I have to tell myself so that I feel better about myself. No, the, the truth is there, is, there are worse things in life than feeling bad about yourself. You know what's worse than feeling bad about yourself? Knowing what's wrong about yourself and not doing anything about it. Knowing there's something wrong and saying, yeah, but that makes me feel bad, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to talk to myself out of it. I'm going to tell myself something different. I'll have to believe a lie so that I feel better about this bad thing that's in myself. You see, knowing there's something bad in you, knowing there's something wrong, knowing there's something that should be fixed and not fixing it, that's worse than even feeling bad about yourself. The truth is, if there's something in you that makes you feel bad, that's good. Notice what that is and then find that thing and try to fix it and try to turn it. Try to remove it if it needs to be removed. <clears throat> there are worse things than feeling bad about yourself. Back in, in, in the 7th century BC, there was a prophet. He was, his name was Jeremiah. He was, uh, his book is actually the longest recorded document in, in, um, in our Bibles, in that kind of big book that's strapped in leather. <clears throat> um, his document, he, he was uh, this prophet, and he was given this in, incredible message. Really, it was, it was a really rather difficult message to bring to the people of Jerusalem. He was Jewish, and he lived in Jerusalem, and this Ju- the Jewish nation had entered into this, if you, the, the, if you do this, then I will kind of covenant with God. Well, if they kind of weren't doing the if you part, so God was saying, well, then I'm going to have to do this. You know, you're not honoring, you're not obeying, you're worshiping other gods, you're doing these things, so now I'm going to have to do this. I'm going to have to put you in time out. It's essentially what God said. 
You're not honoring me. You're, you're, not, you're, not, you're kind of marrying other people. You're bringing in these false gods. You're doing all these awful things. So now, if you don't shape up, I'm going to have to take your leadership from you. That's really what he said. I'm going to remove your leaders, and I'm going to put them in foreign lands across from you. Nebuchadnezzar, this ruler who's going to come in, he's smart enough to leave the, the farmers and the workers. They'll till the ground. They'll make money for them. But all the leadership, the people that can change your nation, the people that could turn the course, that could change the tide, I'm going to take them away from your nation if you don't get things right. I'm essentially going to put your leaders in time out. So Jeremiah was given this message and he goes to the king and to the leaders of this land and he says essentially what God said. Hey guys, here, here's the thing. If you don't get this right, Nebuchadnezzar is going to come in and he's going to just destroy the land. He's going to remove the leaders and you guys are going to be lost. They don't listen. You can imagine how it goes. Right? They don't listen. They don't listen. He comes to them again. He says, hey, hey listen, it's too late now. Open the doors. Nebuchadnezzar's outside the city. Open the doors and let him come in. Less people will die. There'll be less bloodshed. It's too late. You haven't honored God. You've broken that if you will, then I will kind of covenant with God. So God sent Nebuchadnezzar. It's, it's too late, guys. Open the doors. Well, as you can imagine how this went over, the kings and leaders weren't happy, so they took Neb Jeremiah, rather, and they threw him down into a pit. Now, it was a dry pit, but these dry pits are never really always dry. So you have to imagine, he's down in this well, kind of knee-deep in mud. And you know what he does? This is, this is so incredible. He keeps prophesying. He's down in this pit alone, and he keeps yelling, repent, repent. Imagine walking through the city. Imagine walking through downtown Hamden, and you just hear this voice come up from the ground. Repent, repent, you're all going to die. He didn't care. They threw him in a pit, and he kept prophesying. Eventually, his friends come, and they kind of work him out of the pit. They get out, and they escape, and they, they go to Egypt. And it's, it's a really incredible story, but it's really, it's really an awful story. It's a sad story because God, time and time again, was saying, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. I want to bless you. I want to honor you. I want to do these things. But you're not keeping your end of the bargain. Nebuchadnezzar came, and Nebuchadnezzar destroyed. Before Nebuchadnezzar came, <clears throat> God gave Jeremiah this incredible message that fits right into the center of this conversation. And this incredible message, he, Jeremiah says, really, this is for everyone. This just isn't for the nation of Israel during this time before Nebuchadnezzar comes. This is for every human. This is for every person. Jeremiah tells us, the Lord told me to tell everybody, the heart is deceitful above all things. That your heart and my heart are deceitful above all things. How many things, Jeremiah? Uh, like all things. Not just a lot of things, all things. And, and what's the most deceitful thing? Your heart. He says, it's so deceitful, it is beyond cure. There's no hope. There's no hope for it all. It's like game over. There is no hope. Who can understand it? And of course, that's a rhetorical question. The answer is no one. No one can understand it. That's why we, we don't even understand our own heart. Right? That's why we walk around and say, like, man, why did I say that? Jeremiah's like, I know. Why did I do that? I know. Why did I call her back? And Jeremiah and all your friends are saying, I know. Why did I go there? Why did I buy that? Why did I rent that? Why, like, why did I do that? Why did I do that again? Why did I do that for a third time? Jeremiah's like, I know. It's because what's in you is deceitful, and it's beyond cure. It can't be trusted. You see, the easiest person in the whole world for you to deceive is the person in the mirror. Nobody does better at deceiving you than you. Really, when it comes down to it, you are a sucker for you. You go to buy a car and the salesman just needs to get out of your way because you've already sold yourself. You've already convinced it. It's like they just drop the tag and it's like, oh yeah, you're going to talk yourself through it. No matter what they say, I'm in. And, and I'm, you, you salespeople, just take this advice. You don't even need to sell it. They'll sell themselves. 
They're going to drive off that lot with it. They're going to put that sweater on, and it's going to look so nice. And I'm just, I'm just going to walk out with it. No, just take the tag. I won't even take it off. I just, I just, I need it. I love it. I desired it. You're a sucker for you. You'll convince yourself to do anything. You are the greatest salesperson in your own life. So effective self-leadership, it, it really, it's just being honest with yourselves. And here's why. Because you can't lead yourself as long as you're lying to yourself. Do you know what you do with a liar? Let's, let's step out of the realm of family for a minute. Do you know what you do if you're an employer and you have a liar on your team? You fire a liar. You can't work with, you can't. You can't work with a liar. And so if roles were reversed, if you were sitting up here, if you were giving me advice, just like I'm giving you advice, you need to fire the liar in your life. You need to stop lying to yourself. And you need to hire somebody who will be brutally honest, who will tell you the truth that you need to hear so you can change your life and make the corrections you need to make to be the person you want to become. Because you will continue to lie yourself. You will continue to tell yourself what you want to hear and sell yourself on things you don't need. You got to fire the liar. Here's one more little handle on this, and then we'll, we'll go to number two. And we've talked about this before. At every junction, at every decision, we should hit pause and kind of step back from whatever it is we're about to face. Now, maybe if you can't do that physically, just kind of internally, step back from whatever decision you're about to make and ask yourself this question. Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And, and, and here's what I want you to do. We, we tend to ask this question, but we ask this question at the end of the decision, and we tend to ask it differently, don't we? What do we say? Why did I do this? Why did I do this? Like, right? It's just the, the, the inverse of the question. Instead of asking it at the beginning and keeping ourselves from making a poor decision, we make the decision, and then at the end we say, why did I do that? Why did I buy that? Why did I rent that? Why did I go there? Why did I call her back? Why did I do that? So here's what I want you to do. When the next time you're faced with a big decision, instead of waiting until the end and asking yourself why, I want you to ask at the beginning, why did I do this? Why am I doing this? And then I, I want you to make it a little more emotional. I want you to ask yourself this. Why am I doing this really? Why am I doing this really? Why am I buying this really? Why am I saying this really? Why is it so important to me to know what she knows really? Why am I eating this really? Why am I postponing this really? Why am I avoiding her really? Why am I going there really? Why? Really? What's really behind whatever decision you're about to make? Dig deep. Find the truth. Lurking in your lie is the truth of why you really are about to make the decision you want to make. Jesus made a powerful statement in regard to this. In, in fact, you probably know this statement even if you've never been to church, even if you've never cracked your Bible open. And that's because politicians tend to use three or four phrases that Jesus used. Sometimes they take them out of context. But this, this statement Jesus made, and, and the statement goes like this. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Jesus was using it in a completely different kind of context, but he's given you the formula. The formula is this. The truth will set you free. Tell yourself the truth. Stop lying to yourself. If truth equates to freedom, then dishonesty leads you to prison. If telling yourself the truth will set you free, lying to yourself will imprison you. That's kind of Jeremiah's whole point. Stop lying to yourself. Be honest with yourself. Because if you're not careful, you will imprison yourself. So come on. If you want to lead well at home, if you want to lead well at work, if you want to lead well at your government job or whatever job you might have, you need to tell yourself the unfiltered truth. Tell yourself the unfiltered truth. 
And here's the good thing about telling yourself the unfiltered truth. Once you know it, you don't really even have to do anything with it. At least you're being honest with yourself. At least you can make the best decision after knowing the whole truth. Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this really? Decision number one, I will not lie to myself even if the truth makes me feel bad about myself. Decision number two, I will prioritize what I value most over what I want now. This is what great self-leadership is really all about. This is playing the long game. This is playing with the end in mind. This is like the marathon of leadership. This isn't just making quick decisions for the here and now. This is playing for what you want ultimately in your future, for what you ultimately want out of your life. If you're a leader of anything, if you're a leader in your family, if you're a leader in any kind of job capacity, on any kind of team, in any kind of uh, community, event, or environment, this is what great self-leadership is all about. What do you value most? Not what do you want now. Everybody is led by what they want now. Great leaders, leaders who practice self-leadership, they avoid what they want now for what they ultimately want most. But to know that, you kind of have to know where you're going, right? If you're, if you're leading a team, you have to know where the, where, what the goal of the team is. If you're leading the family, you got to know what, what, what kind of family you want to have. You have to know where you're leading them. Really, that's the question you have to a- answer. Where are you leading yourself? If self-leadership is about kind of knowing the direction, what direction are you going in? And the answer, the correct answer, is if, if you adopt this, it's what I value most. It's not what I want now. The direction I'm going in is in the direction of the thing that I value most out of life. At, at the beginning of last year, January of 2018, I, I taught a whole series on this called How to Get What You Really Want. And, and the reason I think that, that series w- was so incredible, even though it's, it sounds kind of self-serving, is that lurking in the shadows of what I want now is what I value most, which is ultimately what I want most. And But most people, and I'm so convinced of this, the more I do time in ministry, the more I, I spend time with people, especially as they age and get older on in life, but here, here's what I find. Most people never discover what they value most until it's too late until they're at the end. And then, and then what they want, what they value most is unattainable. They can't even get the things they value most because they put it off for the here and now and what I want now and what I want now and what I want now. And what they value most never comes around because they've never taken the time to know. What do I value the most? You see, the truth is if you fail to discover what you really value, you will never get what you really want. Most people figure this out when it's too late. Now, if you're a Christian, if you're a Jesus follower, there's, there's a little twist on this. And the twist is this, that if I've devoted myself, if I've surrendered myself to Jesus, if, if I've accepted his incredible invitation, right? Jesus, Jesus extended this incredible invitation to everyone, to every person here, whether you've accepted or not. And the invitation is simply this, that, that if, if Jesus really was the son of God and he came to give his life for your sin, all he asks you to do, he says, follow me. Just follow me. And if you follow Jesus, the question then becomes, with, with this, this person that I va- value the most, that I admire the most, what does he value the most and what does he admire the most? That if I'm following after him, what, what are the things that I can learn from to be more like him? I've got to know what he values so I can value those things. Now, if you're not a Christian, you can kind of take this and kind of do whatever you want with it. You can create your own values. You can create kind of your own direction with it. It's really up to you as you decide. But I would encourage you, the answer to this really is applicable to you whether you're a Jesus follower or not. You see, the answer to the question, what does Jesus value the most? Really, he he told us. Do you know what Jesus valued the most? He says, what I value the most is honoring God by loving the things that God loved the most. That's what I value. I want you to honor God by honoring and loving the things that God loves the most. And what did God love the most? The most famous scripture in all the Bible tells you. 
For God so loved, do you know what God loves the most? You. And the person sitting to your left and the person sitting to your right. I realize that's my left and right, but it'd be reversed for you. The person sitting to your right, the person sitting to your left. That's what God values the most. Jesus said, you, you want to know how to be like me? You want to follow me? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to honor God by finding ways to value and honor the things that God loves the most. Jesus had this incredible statement at the end of his life. He kind of gathered all his disciples in a room. If you spend any time with us, you've heard this before because we come back to this time and time again because it's amazing. Jesus said, this is like the one thing I want you to remember. That of my three and a half years of ministry, you know, we've talked a lot, we've done a lot, we've gone a lot of places. Out of all that, guys, when I leave in a few days, I want you to remember this one thing. I don't ever want you to forget this, this thing I'm gonna give you. He says this, a new command I give you. Love one another. And his disciples, I'm sure, when they heard it, laughed like, Jesus, it's not a new command. We've been hearing that our whole life. He said, no, 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 I'm not finished yet. Love one another as I have loved you. I want you to love one another. See, that kind of raises the bar, doesn't it? At Journey, we call this the platinum rule. Right? It's beyond the golden rule. The golden rule is treat others the way you want to be treated. The platinum rule is, no, 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 treat others the way that God through Christ has treated you. The platinum rule says, says go beyond the way you want to do it and, and do it the way Jesus did it for you. And what did Jesus do for you? What did Jesus give up for you? How did Jesus show his love for you? He said, I want you to love people the very same way. That's why it's a new command. I want you to love them the way that I have loved you. I want you to be willing to give up everything, to give up even your own life for them. And then he, he kind of caps it all off by saying it this way. And this is, this is where it applies to us as Christians in this conversation. He says this, by this, by this one command, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Everyone will know that you are my followers. Everyone will know that you've kind of aligned yourself with my life, that you're getting your life in sync with my life. You're exchanging your priorities for my priorities. Everyone will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. And then years later, the Apostle Paul, he says it another way. You, know, you remember Paul? He was the guy who was kind of on the other side of the resurrection. He hated Christians and he became a Christian. This guy, Paul, he says that, and when he makes this statement, this sounds so ludicrous and so extreme, you're going to hear it and you're going to say, that, that's not even true. And you're going to have to go look it up for yourselves. And I hope you do. I think that would be absolutely incredible. Here's what Paul says. He says, kind of capturing everything that he had talked about, he says this in Galatians. The only thing that counts. Wait a minute, Paul. You've written like most of the New Testament. Are you saying everything else you've written, it doesn't count? He said, no, no I, everything else I've written, it kind of wraps itself up in this statement. That if you forget everything else I've written, don't forget this statement, and this statement covers everything else I've ever written. The only thing that counts, the only thing that has value. The, and, and when he says value, it's like the thing that I care for the most, the thing that I value the most, the thing that I value most, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And faith is simply believing that God is who he said he is and that God will do what he said he would do. Faith is confidence in God, that God is who he said he is, and that God will do what he says he will do. He says, you want to know the secret to following Jesus? You want to know how to follow Jesus well? It's this simple. Have confidence that God is who he said he is, and then express that confidence by loving one another. That's how you do it. And if you hear this and you think to yourself, man, that just sounds, that sounds so soft. That sounds like, that sounds like, like, it's just so kind of ridiculous. Like you don't understand my job and you don't know the people I have to work with and you, 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 know, you don't know how they talk and how they live. You know, I, I work in construction and they don't have the same values and I work with these people and it's just cutthroat. Here's what I want you to remember. The two people who made this statement 
every Christian and every secular theologian, philosopher, historian would agree that Jesus and the Apostle Paul shaped, not influenced, they shaped Western culture. Are you going to shape Western culture? No, you're not. So when you think this sounds too soft, remember the people who said it are the people who shaped Western culture. It wasn't too soft for them. As a matter of fact, it was their life's mission, and they shaped the culture forever. And here's what I know about you, if I just ask this a little differently. Here's what I know. Would you be happy with your life if at the end of your life you had lived your life with faith and love at the center of your life? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes every single time. And do you know how I know the answer is yes? Because every single funeral I go to and every single funeral I oversee screams yes to this answer. Every funeral, whether it's the really good ones or the really bad ones. You know the bad ones where it's like, you know, we really don't know what to say, so we're not going to open up the mic. Just, just give a sermon and dismiss us because no one has any, really anything good to say. You know, three or four people kind of show up to the funeral. Funerals like that and then funerals where the room is packed and there's a line of people trying to get into the auditorium. Every single funeral screams yes to this answer. Because here's a secret that, that I think most of us know, but most of us don't apply it to our life and live it. And the secret is this. The value of life is always measured in terms of how much of it is given away. That's the value of life. That's the value of your life. At the end, at every funeral, the value of that life is measured in terms of how much of that life was given away. Not how much you amassed, not how much you took, not how much you saved, but how much you gave. People show up and they celebrate and they tell stories and they remember and they cry and they laugh off of what you gave. Not off of what you saved and not off of what you've amassed and what you held secure. So do you know where to lead yourselves when it comes to being a Christ follower? Even if you're not a Christian, I suggest you try this at home. We try to lead ourselves toward valuing people because people matter. Decision number one, I'm not going to lie to myself, even if it makes me feel bad about myself. Decision two, I'm going to prioritize what I value most over what I want now. And decision three, I will not attempt to lead myself by myself. Let me just make this one clear because I'm, I'm guessing you're going to see this and say, oh, you don't agree with this. You're, I want you to talk about this over lunch because I know you're going to disagree with it. Maybe you talk about it later. Maybe write me an email. But the truth is this. Your history, your positive history and, and the history you hope no one knows, the history that you hope stays hidden, that stays in secret, your history indicates that you can't lead yourself by yourself. Think about this. Your, great, your greatest regrets were with people you considered friends, not, not enemies, it wasn't with people who hated you. Your greatest regrets were with people who you liked and people who liked you. You shared common interests, right? You liked the same music. You liked going to the same places, vacationing, eating the same food, spending money the same way, whatever it might be. Your greatest, you shared the, the similar interest, but you didn't share similar values. You shared the similar what now. So you lived and you made decisions and your what now became your greatest regret. You see, the truth is you were meant to do life not alone. You were meant to do life with people. That's why here we value groups. You see, sitting in rows is fine. Sitting in rows is good. Sitting in rows won't cost you anything. But it's why we are so hardcore about getting you into a small group, getting you sitting into circles. Because in circles, you're doing life with people, not that you just share common interests with, but that you share common values with. 
People who aren't going to let you lie to yourself, who are going to tell you the unfiltered truth because they love you and care about where you're headed. People who are going to encourage you and tell you, give up the one now for what you value most. This is deceiving. This will lead you to a place you don't want to go. Go for what you value most. Table sneaks up on me every time. That's why we're so hardcore about getting you into groups. It's why that's the goal, and it's always been the goal of this church, to get you through a Sunday morning into a group as quickly as we can. Because you weren't meant to do life alone. You weren't meant to do life with people that you just shared common interest with, with people that you shared the want now with. You were meant to do it with people who you shared values with, people who would be honest, people who would lead you where you want to go. There's a pastor in our network of churches. We belong to, to a network of churches with North Point uh, Community Church, North Point Network. One of the pastors in one of, the, in one of our network of churches, he made this statement that I absolutely love. He says, when we push back from feedback, we push back from the better version of ourselves. And really, that's what groups offer. Groups offer the feedback, the feedback that sometimes we don't want to hear. But when we push back from the feedback that we don't want to hear, we're really pushing back on the better version of ourselves. The truth is, we all need feedback. We give feedback to other people all the time, but we hate it when it comes our way. But if we're going to be the best person we can be, if we're going to try to have the best life that we can have, we need the feedback. We need to know where we're missing it. We need to know where maybe we've lied to ourselves and we're not seeing the whole truth. We need to know if maybe we've shifted our focus from what we value the most to what we want now. And when you avoid the feedback, when you avoid sitting in circles, when your life is always just consistently sitting in rows, doing life alone, you miss the feedback, therefore you miss the best version of yourselves. When you're doing life with people who share values, it's amazing how much better we all do. Parents, can, can I just say this to you? And I'm telling you, I have three kids, and really all they know of church are the environments that we've created here. And I know I can't tell you you'd be crazy if you didn't have your kids here at church every Sunday. But parents... You would be crazy if you don't have your kids here at church every single Sunday. There will, th these environments were created with your kids in mind. W th there is going to come a time in your life when you're going to want another adult who can speak into your kid's life. And if you wait, if you delay in bringing your kids to church, you know, until your daughter's 15 and she has such a, a horrible, like, bad attitude that it kind of precedes her, like you know she's coming before she gets into a room. You know people like that? If you show up with a kid like that at 15, the truth is it might be too late. But if you show up when they're 10 or 11, if you show up when they're 4 or 5 and you can surround them with adults and with other kids who don't just have common interests but have common values and whose parents want the same thing out of life for their children, by the time they're 15 and you're trying to speak into their life and they're not hearing you because it's just noise, I mean, the truth is when you were 15 and your parents spoke to you, you didn't listen either. Do you know why? It was just noise. But when you have another adult that cares about them that they know and they care about and they're speaking the same thing into your life you are, that's a win. And that's what the local church was here to do, to partner with you, to help lead your children to what they ultimately value most and what you value most. We were meant to be a partner with you. But we can't do it if you're not bringing your kids almost every Sunday. If you're just showing up hit or miss, and I, and I, know, I know all the excuses, but Jim, you don't know my life, I'm so busy. I, I get it, we're all busy. There's, all, there's so much going on to distract us and to keep us from doing this. But in years to come, when your kids want nothing to do with you and want nothing to do with what you value and want nothing to do with your church, would it have been worth the price to pay now? But Jim, you don't know my life. I know our lives are full of distractions. 
And I know the greatest trick in the world is making you more busy than you know what to do with. So you skip out on pursuing the thing you value the most for the thing you want now. And if you could see yourself in 15 and 10, maybe even for some of you five years from now, you would see the value and the importance of what it is to bring your kids to church every single Sunday so they can begin to connect to God. They can begin to connect to the things that you value. They can begin to pursue the life that you want pursued and that your kids ultimately want pursued. Now the downside, the downside to this, right? The downside to saying that you can't lead yourself alone is that you're possibly going to lose a friend or two in the mix. Because valuing most is threatening for people who live for want now. There's a conflict. But the truth is, it's okay. You can do it. We all know this to be true. Everybody ends up somewhere in life. Everybody ends up somewhere in life. I just want you to end up somewhere on purpose. And there's only one person who can determine that. There's only one person who can determine where you end up on purpose. And that's the person you look and you see in the mirror every single morning. See, the president can't determine that. The person who's in charge of the House of Representatives, the person who's in charge of the school committee, the person who's in charge of your homeowners association, none of that determines the direction of the quality of your life. You do, and the people you surround yourself with do. We face our greatest challenge every morning in the mirror. But we face something else as well, and please don't miss this. Every morning you come face to face with yourself in the mirror, You're looking at somebody who was created in the image of God, who God values so much, and God says, I have a life and a purpose for you. Don't sell yourself short. Don't lie to yourself. Don't pursue the the, the here and now and give up the thing that you value the most. And please, for my sake, don't do life alone. Be the leader. The leader you are looking for is looking for. Whether you find yourself in in leading the family, you find yourself leading a team, you find yourself leading at work, maybe you're single and you, you, you know you're looking for somebody who's leading themselves well, lead yourself well. Be the leader the leader you're looking for is looking for. The truth is we're all looking for that. So let's just decide. I'm not going to lie to myself, even if it makes me feel bad about myself. I'm going to prioritize what I value most over what I want now. I'm even going to take some time to figure out what it is that I actually value the most in my life. And I will not attempt to lead myself by myself. You see, the truth is, if every American made these three decisions and stuck to it, we would be greater than ever. Because at the end of the day, our nation will never be greater than the American in the mirror. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for, um, for this, these incredible passages of Scripture, God, that point us to the direction of taking responsibility and ownership for our life. God, that would lead us down the path of saying, God, if we're going to actually make a difference, if we're going to make a change, if we're going to lead well in our family, if we're going to produce kids, God, that are, that are respectful and loving kids that value life and value what we value most, God, then we've got to take the responsibility and we have to lead ourselves well. I pray for every person here, even if they don't feel like they're leading, that you would begin to open their mind to see how exactly they are leading, that they are leaders, and that they will be leaders someday. And then I pray that we would apply these two truths, God, that we wouldn't lie to ourselves, that we would pursue what we value the most, not what we want now, and that we wouldn't try to do this alone because we were never intended to do that. And I pray as we put these decisions in play, God, we would begin to change. We would begin to change ourselves. We would begin to change our family, our work, our teams, our communities. Because we've taken responsibility and we've led ourselves well. We give you glory and honor in Jesus' name.
Amen.